It's good to see everybody out this morning, uh, especially our visitors. If we have any, we're thankful that you're here and do invite you back at each and every opportunity that you have to be with us. Last Sunday, I talked about husbands and how they should love their wives and what God expects out of a good husband. And today, we're going to be talking about the wife. And next Sunday, hopefully, about parents and then uh, the children in, in the following week. And as you look at that picture on the screen, yes, that is Cinderella and Prince Charming. There was a two-year-old girl who was, had a fascination with the story of Cinderella. And one day, the little girl was uh, going across some photos, and she came across a photo of her mom and dad's wedding. And she said, Mommy got married just like Cinderella. And the mom said, Yes, honey. And the mother said, Just like Cinderella. And then there was a long pause, and the little girl looked at her mother, looked at the picture again, and she said, but Mommy, you didn't marry a prince. You married Daddy. <laughs> it's kind of amazing that a little girl would recognize that her Daddy wasn't a prince, that he was just Daddy. While the Prince of Cinderella's story was the perfect man, lived happily ever after, we realize that those dreams aren't real, that men are not perfect, that they're not, the dreams do not always come true, and that men are just men. They have weaknesses. They have problems. They are, have shortcomings just like everyone else. They make mistakes. They forget things. And they even do foolish things and sometimes even hurtful things. That's what husbands do. And we may not like that, but that's just the reality of life because there's not a man in here that is the perfect husband. And if you're single, guess what? If you ever get married, you won't be the perfect husband either. And of course, women are the same as men. They have their problems too. And because both men and women have shortcomings, you'll hear men say things like, my wife doesn't deserve to be treated like what the Bible says she should be treated like. And when she does what she's supposed to do, then I'll treat her that way. And you'll have women who will say, be subject to my husband? I don't think so. The way he treats me, I would never be subject to him. Now why do I mention those kind of things? I say that because people too often have the false impression that God is telling women that what their husbands should be like, and that He's telling men what their wives should be like. And that's just not true. You see, God is telling us as men what we should be as a man, as a husband. And the wife, God is telling her what she's supposed to be, whether or not the husband is what he's supposed to be. In other words... God's telling us what we're supposed to be like, husbands and wives. 
Last week, as I said, we talked about the man and how, what he should strive to be like and that he should protect his wife, that he should uh, realize that she is a gift from God, that she's a special creation, and she is something that's valuable, that she's to help him uh, in this life. And so together they strive to get to heaven as we go through this life. And that's what a good husband should be like, but no matter what his wife is like, that's what he should do. And so she may not be perfect either, but you're still supposed to be what God wants you to be as a husband. And he may not be perfect either, but you're still supposed to be what God wants you to be as a wife. And no matter what, we are to strive to be what God wants us to be. And so today we're taking a look at the good wife and once again, it doesn't matter what her husband is like. This is what a wife should do. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, "...Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives." I want you to notice there that it doesn't say if. It doesn't say be in subjection to your husband if he's perfect. It says wives, be in subjection to your husbands, your own husbands. And that's something that is important. It doesn't just sit well with a lot of people today. A lot of women get upset. As I said this morning in Bible class, I was going to be preaching on something that some people would be offended by. Hopefully no one here is going to be offended by it. But if you are, so be it. Because this is what the Bible teaches us. And this is what we should be striving for. And I believe that the problem with many of our homes in America and across this globe is because people are not following what God's Word says. And so instead of being offended, if you're not living up to the standard that God has given, I would encourage you to repent and to change and be what God wants you to be. And see, this passage is very clear. It goes on in verses 4 through 6. It says, Whose adorning, let it not be with the outward adorning of plating of hair, or of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old times, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, so long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. You see, that's, the real, that's not a real popular idea nowadays. In our society today, submission is frowned upon. People don't want to submit. And many times, even in the family, there's a problem with submitting. But that passage describes a woman who pleases God. And it says a woman who pleases God should submit and be subject to her husband. Now, I mentioned last Sunday, husbands, be ready for those elbows to come into your ribs. Wives, you might want to be ready for those elbows to come into your uh, sides too. Now, my wife's protected this morning. I'm up here. She's down there. But I told her what I was going to be talking about. She's been real good to me all week. 
Real good. The question is this morning, what does it mean to be subject to your, to a husband? And if you look in Vine's dictionary of words, uh, Vine's a complete expository dictionary, that word translated subjection is a translation of a Greek word, hupotasso. It's a verb, and it's primarily a military term, meaning to be under the rank, to rank under. Hupo means under, tasso means arrange. And a Greek lexicon defines it as to be, to, to cause to be in be submissive relationship and to be subject to and to subordinate. In other words, when we think of this word, we're talking about being submissive voluntarily. It's an attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. All of those things are involved in that word, and I want to encourage us all to realize that we talk about a wife submitting, but the Bible also tells us as husbands we submit to Christ. And so we're answering to someone also. And so think about when you want your wife to submit to you, Christ wants you to submit to Him. And that's something that we need to realize. And this subject, as I said, doesn't make me popular with feminists. And when we talk about these passages of Scripture, feminists don't like those kind of things. But whether anyone likes it or not, that's what the word means. And it means to allow yourself to be under authority. So in other words, the wife is to be under the authority of the husband. And we can see this word used in different places in the New Testament. And there are several examples that we're going to look at here just for a moment. We can see in the New Testament that Jesus was under the authority of His parents. For example, when He was 12 years old, He disappeared. And His family had gone on and then they returned and found Him talking to the lawyers and things in the temple. And they're asking Him the question of, why are you here? And then listen to what it says in verse 51 of Luke chapter 2. And he went down unto them and came to Nazareth and was subject. That's the same Greek word that is used here for submission for wives. He and was subject unto them, put his, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. So in other words, Jesus was God in the flesh. While he was still here on earth, while he was on earth, he was still divine. He still was divinity. He was still God. But yet he put himself under the subjection of Joseph and Mary while he was a child. So that's the same word. And another example in Titus chapter 3, in verse 1, it tells us, put them in mind to be subject. Again, that same Greek word that is used in, by Peter uh, to, uh, to principalities and powers to obey magistrates and to be ready to every good work. In other words, we're to be submissive to those who are rulers over us. And sometimes we don't like that idea, but that's what we're supposed to be. And that's what the Bible says. And that's where, that same word is the one used in that verse where it's talking to wives. And then we can go over into uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And there we can find that all of heaven is under the authority of Christ. 
Because it says in those verses, and the, the life figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject, same Greek word, unto Him. And so all of heaven is under the authority of, of, of Christ. Same word. So repeatedly we can see in Scripture that subjection and submission means to allow yourselves to be put under the authority of someone or something. And it's a voluntary decision on the part of, in this case that we're looking at today, the woman, the wife, to allow their husband to have authority in the home. Allowing them to make the decisions and set the tone in the family. So, what does it mean to allow the husband to have authority in the home? Well, if we go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, that's where it all started. And it says in that passage of Scripture, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. So God made Eve. And we seen last week that Adam, after God's creation and He created Adam, that Adam was incomplete. That he needed someone to, to be a companion. That he went through all the animals and there was none. And, I, and as we said last week, I believe that God wanted Adam to realize that there was nothing on earth like what He was going to create for him. And so we realize that God said it's not good for man to be alone. And Eve completed Adam. She was created by God to be what Adam was not. She had qualities that Adam needed in his life. She was not created to be Adam's slave or his servant. She was created to be his helper. God took a rib from Adam's side. And I believe it's to show that she wasn't to rule over him or him to walk all over her but she could walk by His side and be a companion to help Him and for Him to help her as they go through this life. Now what does it mean that she was Adam's helper? What did she supply that Adam lacked? I think most of us realize that women have abilities that most of us men, we don't have them like they have it. For one... A woman has, has the ability to sympathize. She can look at a situation and she can see that something is needed. You know, sometimes we live in a cruel, cold world and there are times that you go to work and maybe you're expecting to get a raise or a promotion or something and your friend gets it, the guy sitting next to you, and you think he doesn't deserve it, I deserve it, and then you got to go home. And you left that morning and you told your wife, I might get this raise, I might get this promotion, this great thing may happen. But you've got to go home now. It didn't happen for you. And she may ask you, how do you feel? You must feel awful. I feel bad for you. Whereas 
us men would just kind of look at it and say, get over it. Don't think about it. But the wife can sympathize. That doesn't mean that she's less of a person. That means that she can bring out in a man what he needs. And sometimes when you look at what I'm going to say this morning, there are some simple things that we can do that matters that sometimes when we don't do those things, we kind of drift apart. Life isn't what it should be. And when she says, how do you feel? I feel bad for you. I know you deserved it, but... It may not seem like much, but in a world that can be cold and cruel and unforgiving, that sympathy can mean a lot to encourage her husband. She also has a civilizing influence on her husband. Think about how your life would be without your wife. I listened to a comedian not too long ago, and he was talking about on the bed, you know, that... uh, how many of us have multiple pillows? You know, how many pillows do you need on your bed? Well, most of the time you could use one and that's enough. But I would imagine that most of the beds in this, in this building, if, you, if you're a wife, you have more than one or two pillows on your bed. You got them on the couch, you got them in chairs, you got them all over the place. Men don't do those kind of things. In fact, sheets on the bed. We, we wouldn't care if you had sheets or not. And guess what? You guys would change them. I've gone in the bedroom and my wife's stripping the bed. I said, what are you doing? You just did that a few weeks ago. <laughs> Why you got to do it again? That's what wives are... What, what they do. They civilize us. They make us better. And so you think about all of those simple little things... Because they also have a way of civilizing us. Not only with pillows and sheets, but you know, before you get married, sometimes you're a little wild. Sometimes you're doing crazy things, things that may be dangerous, but then after you get married, you settle down. And she helps you with that. And so there's things that a wife can do that helps her husband to be complete. You know... I don't have it on the screen, but sometimes when you think about it, you have kids and they get hurt. What does the dad say? Just rub a little dirt on it and go. But the wife, she, the mom, she can sympathize with that. So you can see just some simple little things make a big difference. So how do we change? You see, my point is women have the ability to change men for the better. And there's a couple of ways of doing it. In a healthy, uh, unhealthy marriage, the wife tends to think of the best way to change her husband, and that is to nag and quarrel and argue with him. Look at what it says there in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. And how true is that? I picture this. When I picture this in my mind, I picture this little guy up here in the corner of the house trying to hide away. Don't come up here where I'm at. Because his wife is going on the warpath. And you see that comment about happy wife, happy life? Well, guess what? That really isn't the way life's supposed to be. 
And I think that we see this picture. Does this look like a happy home? Does this look like a happy relationship? Well, he goes on because he says that it's better to dwell in a wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. How true is that? You say, well, I'll show him. Well, guess what? He would rather be out in a wilderness. Now, we don't have much wilderness around here, so where does he go now? Well, he may go down in the basement. He may go out to the garage. He may go back somewhere else. But he doesn't want to be with his wife. And do you really want to have a relationship where someone does not want to be with you? Especially if it's your husband. The writer doesn't stop there. In Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 15, a continual dripping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Like a dripping faucet. I remember years ago, we got up on Christmas morning, we was opening our packages, and all of a sudden I heard a drip. 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 Started looking around, the roof was leaking. It was raining. It was pouring down rain. Next thing I know, I hear it in another spot. I don't know about you, but when my roof's leaking, that's very annoying. So I got up there. Ben was with me. Yeah, He was with me. We went up on the roof in the rainstorm. It's thundering and lightning, and we put a tarp over where it was leaking. Because the ridge vent had come loose, and that's what the problem was. Couldn't see because it was still dark. But that was very annoying. And here, the author is saying, that's what a wife that's nagging is like. It's annoying. And so do you want to try to change people by nagging and quarreling and arguing and being angry? Now, why would a woman be contentious? Why would she be nagging? Why would she argue? Well, maybe her husband won't do what she wants him to do. And maybe she knows it's the best course. Maybe she knows this is the right way or a better way. But he don't want to do it. She wants him to change, but he won't listen. And sometimes her way may even really be the best way. But he don't want to change. And so in her frustration, it leads her to nag and argue and quarrel with him. And sometimes that works. But how well does it work? Usually not very well. But it's all that she knows. And so that's what she does. And a marriage becomes an atmosphere where neither party is happy. Is that the kind of house you want to have? Home you want to have? You see, God tells us that a wife doesn't do that. She's not prone to contending and arguing and nagging. Look again at what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3. Because there he's telling us that a godly wife can even win a non-Christian husband to Christ. Because he says, if any obey not the word. Now what's that word? This word. If any will not listen to this, then what's he saying? They also may be may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. 
So what's Peter saying? That without this, you may still win your husband by living a right life. By being quiet. By having that right spirit. You can lead your husband to Christ because he's going to watch your example. And that's important. You see, sometimes we think we've got to have the Bible always, but our example, and this would be true for all of us, our example speaks volumes. It tells people so much about us. Do you really believe the Word? And I think that the, that's what Peter's saying here. Without the Word, guess what? You can demonstrate the Word in your life. And then he goes on, and he tells us that instead of being combative as the Lord will, or as the world is, God says that wives in verse four should adorn themselves with a hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of good great price. You know, when I read these passages of Scripture, I think sometimes we got certain parts of it figured out. We got that outward adorning part figured out. This is what you shouldn't do. The question is, do we have that inner part figured out? And that inner part, really, I'm not saying the outward part isn't important, but that inner part is even more important. Because I'm of the firm belief that when you get the inner part fixed, the outer part's going to be fixed too. And that's what God's saying that the good wife, the perfect wife, the wife as He wants them to be, isn't the nagging, arguing, fighting kind of individual. But she has that quiet spirit. And she sets an example. And her faith is obvious in the life that she lives. Now how would a man be able to be or how would a woman be able to be quiet and gentle when her husband isn't doing what he should? Well, 1 Peter 3 and verse 5 says, And after this manner, in the old times the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. What's the key? You say, well, I just can't see how that quiet spirit being meek, how that's going to help the situation. Do you see the key word there? I have it in yellow on the screen. Sometimes we just have to do what God says and trust Him. How many times have I said that on Wednesday night as we've studied Psalms? That David trusted God. And that's what we need to do. And sometimes we say it, but we don't believe it. We say, yeah, I trust God, but we don't put it into action in our lives. And so he's saying, what, what, what's he say there? For after this manner, what manner? That quiet and meek spirit. That heart that Peter was talking about. They had that. And after that manner, in the old times, the holy women, holy women, there's another key word, holy women. We're not talking about worldly women. We're talking about holy women, godly women, who trusted in God. 
adorn themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Think about that. You know, sometimes I said, as I said earlier, sometimes it's the little things in life that makes a big difference. Sometimes you hear about a boss that runs away with his secretary. I've even heard of preachers who's run away and run off with a church secretary. And you would, may wonder how that could happen. And I believe that it happens something like this, that one day the secretary comes in, the, the preacher may be sitting in his study, may be working on a sermon, and she comes in and she does something and he compliments her and says, what a great job you've done, thank you. She comes in the next day and does the same thing over or does something different. He says, thank you, I really appreciate that. You're, you're a great asset to, the, to, 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 to me here in, in the office. And she starts to think, wow, I wish my husband appreciated me like that. And then he starts to think, oh, I wish my wife would help me like that. And then they run off together. And you know what? Many times, they, he runs off with somebody that's not even as pretty as his wife. He destroyed his work, his ministry. He destroyed his marriage. He destroyed his family. And he did tremendous damage to the church. And how did it happen? Just like I said, he sacrificed everything for a woman who had shown him attention. And it don't have to be a preacher. It doesn't have to be your boss and secretary. That happens in the workplace too. And he thinks, if my wife would just treat me like she does. That's why I said last week, don't take your wife for granted. That's why I said, wives, when he brings home flowers or he brings something that you think is ridiculous, it may be a bag of dirt that he's saying, here, look how much I appreciate you. Don't uh, don't discourage him. Don't start saying, "Oh, we can't afford that bag of dirt," because he might have stopped on the roadside and scooped it up. Who knows? He may have stopped at a field and picked some wildflowers. You don't know. Appreciate what you have, because the problem is. Sometimes people don't appreciate what they have until they don't have it anymore. And men, make sure you say thank you to your wife for what she does and that you appreciate her. Make her feel special in your life and keep your eyes only on her. That's what First Peter is talking about. 1 Peter chapter 3, it's a wife that has the beauty of a meek and quiet spirit who voluntarily serves under her husband's authority. Could often have, when she does that, she could have anything that she wanted. Because I believe most men want their wives to be happy.
couple more things. What about a situation where a husband isn't what he's supposed to be? In a situation where he's abusive. In fact, her life is in danger if she stays with him. You mean to tell me I'm supposed to submit in a situation like that? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically address a situation like that. But I think there's an Old Testament example that may help us in that area. David was an individual who was under the authority of Saul who was king. King, had, uh, uh, king Saul had the authority and David was supposed to submit to King Saul. But if you know the story, you know that Saul became jealous of David and he started to abuse the situation. In fact, on occasions he tried to kill David. And you know what David did? He ran for his life. That's what sometimes we may have to do. But I want you to notice what David did not do. And that is, he would not take revenge out on Saul. He did not hurt Saul in any way. He, didn't, he had opportunities to kill him on a couple of different occasions. But he refused to harm, to kill God's anointed. And so I believe that that principle may be the same in an abusive situation where she can still be submissive by refusing to take revenge on that what, she, what he's doing to her. But hopefully, by leaving that situation, it doesn't mean she's free to marry again. That just means she can avoid the situation where her life or her children's life are in danger. And that hopefully the husband will repent and get the necessary help that he needs so that he stops doing those things that he should not be doing in the first place. And ultimately, his soul is in danger of hellfire because he's mistreating that gift that God has blessed him with. I've known of some women who stayed in that situation and set the perfect example. It was tough and it was hard. Did it work? Well, I know of a couple of cases where it did. Where the husband changed. In some cases, it was after she died. One last thing. The idea of a woman being submissive to her husband, some people look at that as degrading. But that's not the way God looked at it. In the verses leading up to our text, if you would turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, you can see it on the screen, but it might be good to mark it in your Bibles. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, this is what it says. For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. 
who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by the, whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going, to, going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of our soul. Now listen to what it says in chapter 3. Likewise. Likewise. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. Likewise. What's he saying? Just like Christ, this is what I want you to do. A wife should be trusting God just like Jesus trusted His Father. And that becomes such a powerful influence that even a non-Christian husband can be won through her behavior. That's what Jesus did. Why did Jesus submit? Why did He submit even to His own death? Why did He go to the cross? He trusted God for one. But why did He do all of that? Because just like the wife wants to win her husband to heaven, remember many times I've said that helper means you want to help your husband get to heaven. And your husband, you want to help your wife get to heaven. Jesus went through all of this on the cross. Why? To win souls and to strengthen souls. And husbands submit to their wives by loving them and thus focusing on winning them to Christ and strengthening them to be better Christians. And wives submit to their husbands to win them to Christ. You say, well, we're already members of the church. Yeah. But you want to keep that situation in a safe condition, don't you? You want your wife to remain saved. You want your husband to remain saved. You want to stay in that condition. And that's what God does for us. And that's why it's important that husbands be what God wants you to be. Not if your wife's what she's supposed to be. You just concentrate on you being the kind of husband that you're supposed to be. And wives, you concentrate on being the kind of wife that God wants you to be. And together, you can have that home in heaven by being faithful to our Lord. You see, we're, it's all about submitting we all have to submit to someone. The Bible teaches us as Christians we submit to one another. We realize that wives submit to their husbands. Husbands submit to, 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 to Christ. They also submit to their wives. And as Christians, we submit in service to our Lord. Think about what Jesus did when He came to this earth and He lived as an example. This is what He says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25-28. through 28, But Jesus called them unto Him and said, you know that the prince of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are of great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever, shall, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many." 
See, out there in the world, people are in power and people are over them and so on and so forth. Jesus is telling us that submitting to His will is what's most important. That He came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And in the process, He humbled Himself and became a servant to demonstrate to us that that's what we're supposed to be. It's not degrading to submit. It's uplifting. And I believe that many homes would be greatly impacted if they would just listen to God's Word. Trust God. Key verse, the key words in that verse there in chapter 3. Those that trust the Lord are going to live by His standard. And so I'm asking you today, as a, are you a Christian? Because I think that that's where it really starts. That we want our homes to be a Christian home. We want our homes to be what God wants us to be. And we can't be a godly husband or a godly wife without submitting ourselves to Christ. Then we need to be faithful to our Lord. And Jesus tells us what we need to do in order to be saved. And sometimes people don't want to submit to what Jesus says we need to do. He said, "Repent and be." Or He said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved." A lot of people don't want to do that. I heard some guy on the radio today who said, "I told this guy to just take my hand and say this." Well, I don't see that in the Bible. Jesus said, "Believe and be baptized." And on the day of Pentecost, we see where Peter said, repent and be baptized. And we can see in various places of the New Testament where they did exactly what Jesus said. And then we're going to be judged on the day of judgment by our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we stand before Him, we want to stand before Him as His servant. And that means that we've been baptized into Christ. And I ask you this morning, if you're not a Christian... Why not become one today? Why put it off? Why waste another day of your life living for Satan or living for the devil? Why not be faithful to our Lord? And then as a Christian, maybe you haven't lived as you should as a husband or wife. You don't need to tell me. Go home and take care of it with your wife or your husband. And let them know that you want to change, that you want to be what God wants you to be, that you want to live to get your husband or your wife to heaven. That's our goal. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, we have everything ready that you could be baptized into Christ today. So why wait? If you haven't been faithful, why put that off another minute? Make things right with God. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.